Please stand together for the reading of God's word. Our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and you can find that on page 807 in your pew Bibles. Hear God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. Lord, and as we hear your word preached, as we listen to it this evening, we ask that you would move our hearts in the story. We pray that you would bless the preaching of your word and that we would have an opportunity to ponder more deeply, to worship more fully Jesus coming into our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's good to see you here. Welcome uh, to Village 7, my uh, fellow Presbyterian Church. My name is Mark Bates, one of the pastors here. And um, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus and what it means that he is our Emmanuel. Now, the great uh, theologian, Bruce Springsteen, uh, <laughs> Some of the younger people go, who's Bruce Springsteen? Uh, you can Google him later. But he sang a song and he said, uh, everybody's got a hungry heart. And that is true. But as his song goes on to indicate, we all have a hungry heart, but we really don't even know what our hearts are hungry for. And because of that, we spend our lives consuming, but never really being fully satisfied. We're always longing for something. Here in this opening chapter of Matthew's gospel, God identifies our hunger, and he tells us what's going to satisfy that hunger as well. And we see this in the names that are given to the baby, and, and we have two names that are, are given here. Uh, you know, names are um, important, and I think for many parents, it's, uh, it's quite a struggle trying to decide what to name. Uh, some come through a list of baby names. I don't know if you've done that, by the way, this past year, 2018-2019 uh, results aren't in yet. The number one girl's name was Emma. Number one's boy's name is Liam. Next year, they're thinking it might be Archie for some reason. So... Um, uh, not from the old comic strip or Riverdale or anything like that. But um, 
But Liam, and, and, uh, and so some people just look through lists and say, uh, those are the names we want. Sometimes uh, we just like something that is pretty, that, that sounds right, you know? You don't want to, in our family, you wouldn't want a Kate Bates that just doesn't quite work, right? So, you know, you had to come up with something else. Um, in fact, uh, when Trish and I were expecting each of our children, we, we uh, really never could settle on a boy's name. And so God made it easy. He gave us three girls. And so uh, we, we really never agreed on a boy's name. Uh, for, the reason is, is my, my given name is actually Marvin, and we didn't want to do that. So, um, you know, to, to the poor child. So, uh, and so, you know, we didn't decide. But in the ancient world, names are often aspirational. You would name the child with the hope of what you thought that they would do, or what they might do, or what they might accomplish. And uh, we see this here in the names that are given to the baby. And that fact, they're not just a hope or a wish, but they're given by prophetic utterance of saying what this baby will do, what this baby will accomplish. And so we're given these two names here of the baby at Bethlehem. And by looking at these two names, we find both what's missing in us and what God is going to satisfy in our hearts. So let's begin with the second name that is given here, but it was actually the first one historically, and that is the name Emmanuel, which means, as the text tells us, which means God with us. God with us. Now at first, that may strike us as a rather strange name. After all, isn't God already with us? I mean, he is God. In fact, uh, oftentimes when we're talking about the very nature of God, we'll use three words that begin with omni. So God is, is omnipotent, which means what? He's all-powerful. Uh, God is omniscient, which means all-knowing. And he's omnipresent, which means He's everywhere. He's all present, present everywhere. And so God is everywhere present. In fact, we see this in Psalm 139. David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If God is omnipotent and omnipowerful and omnipresent, doesn't that mean he's already with us? I mean, he's here with us right now. And wherever you go, he's with you. Heaven, hell, no matter what, you never escape the presence of God. But when he talks about God being Emmanuel and with us, it's not simply a reference to God's divine nature. Uh, it's not even talking about space. It's talking about God's loving care, his divine protection. It's speaking of his of intimacy with us. In fact, one of the places we see this in the Bible is back in the Old Testament and an account in Genesis 39, an account of a man named Joseph. Now, this is a different Joseph. This Joseph lived 2,000 years before the Joseph we just read about. But when Joseph was a uh, was a young man. His brothers uh, did not like him much. That might be putting it mildly. And in fact, they plotted to kill him. But they decided to be kind and just sell him off into slavery instead. And so they sold him in slavery. He's taken down to Egypt. And there in Egypt, he becomes the slave to a man named Potiphar. And here's what, you know, so think about this. Joseph's life's not working out too well right now. He's a slave in a foreign land. But here's what we read in verse 2 of Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. And then in verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. 
And then later, Potiphar's wife made a false accusation against Joseph, and he was thrown into prison. And again, it doesn't seem like things are going well, but then we get to verse 21, and here's what we read. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then in verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You know, if God is with you, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you are, you're safe and loved. If you're in prison, if you're enslaved, if you're free, he's speaking about the presence of God. When God is with you, you're safe, you're loved, you're cared for, you're treasured. And that's what Emmanuel means. When he says that God is with us, he's not simply saying that God is divine and, and inhabiting the same space, but he's saying God is with his people the way a friend is with a friend, or even more so, the way a father is with a child. Now, it goes, and that's ultimately where this is going. It goes deeper. It's not simply safety and security, but it's talking about a father's love. You know, if a child, what does a child need from a father? You know, a child needs safety, of course. But a good father doesn't simply provide, uh, you know, food and clothing, doesn't keep you safe and dry and warm. Uh, a father, you know, provides that love, that approval, that acceptance, that smile. Every child looks for the approval of a father. In fact, you'll see this in little children. You'll watch them play and, and they'll be doing something. They'll do some trick that every three-year-old has ever done. But then what do they say? Look, daddy, look. Watch me, watch what I do. What are they asking for? They're, they're not just wanting the father to see that they're safe. They want the father to smile. They want the approval of the father. We have a, we have a longing for our father's approval. And as a helpful book on, on St. Augustine, Jamie Smith, tells several stories of what might, be, might rightly be called father hunger. Uh, that term father hunger was coined by Dr. Margot Maine. She's an expert on eating disorders. And she found that the emptiness that many women feel from having fathers uh, who were either physically or emotionally absent often turns into an unhealthy relationship towards hunger and food. And the reason they had this unhealthy relationship is not so much an issue with food, but they have a hunger. They have a father hunger. And of course, it's not just daughters who have this father hunger. Sons have it as well. In fact, um, every man that I've ever met anyway, as we've talked about fathers, every man is looking for the approval of his father, even if their father's been dead for years. They'll do things, they'll think, I wonder what dad would think of this. I wonder what dad would think of this. The author Paul Auster recalls a rather trivial moment when he was a, a, a child. The family had gone out to eat on a Sunday and it was a very crowded restaurant and so they had to wait. And so the father said to his son, to Paul, he said, come with me outside. And they went outside and the father somehow, and he says, I don't even know how, produced a tennis ball. And he put a little coin on the sidewalk and they played a game to see who could hit the coin with the tennis ball. And Auster says about this, he says, in retrospect, nothing could have been more trivial. And yet the fact that I had been included, that my father had casually asked me to share in his boredom with him nearly crushed me with happiness. He goes on to say, you do not stop hungering for your father's love even after you grow up. We have a father hunger. We long to be loved, but that hunger is not just for our earthly father. If we hunger for the, the approval of our earthly father, how much more, how much more do we long for that love and that approval and that intimacy with their heavenly father. 
And as uh, Augustine himself famously said at the beginning of his confessions, he said, our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are, we are hungry, we have hungry hearts. And what we hunger for most is God himself. It's a hunger that only Emmanuel can satisfy. But that raises a question. And that question, why was it necessary for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem in order for us to experience Emmanuel, to have God with us? I mean, why can't God just be with us? So why do we need him to come? Why do we need Jesus to be born? And the answer to that question is in the other name that is given to Jesus in this passage. And that is name of Jesus, which means the Lord saves or, or he saves. And now while that name, now think about this name, Jesus is Savior. That's a beautiful name, isn't it? It's full of all sorts of hope. But, but the very name Jesus saves, or to say that he is our Savior means we need what? We need saving, which means there's a problem. We need saving from something. And so ultimately, it's unmasking something. He says, and so what is it we need saving from? Well, the angel tells us. He says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The reason we do not experience God with us, God as Father, is not because God is, is absent or inattentive. Uh, we do not have father hunger because God has neglected us, but we have father hunger because we've abandoned him. We are prodigals who wandered from home. The essence of sin is rejecting God's love and his authority. And every one of us has done that. Instead of listening to God, the Father who loves us, who instructs us as his children and saying, here's what you ought to do. I love you. Listen to me. We rejected him as Father and said, you are not to tell me what to do. I'm going to decide what to do. We reject God as God. We reject God as Father. We decide, we want to decide what is right and wrong for ourselves. We can make our own decisions. We can be independent. And so we go off on our own. And it's because we have rejected God that we are estranged from the Father. We have sinned against him. And in order to experience intimacy with God, in order to have that father hunger satisfied, that sin has to be removed. It must be taken away. So 2,000 years ago, here's why we're here tonight. 2,000 years ago, God became man. He became man so that he could be God with us, so that he could be Jesus, the one who saves. Jesus, who's fully God, and always has been from all of eternity, fully God, at a moment in time, became fully man. He did not lose any of his divine nature. He took on a full human nature. He took on human flesh, human identity in every way. He became like us in every way. He endured hardship. He endured suffering. And just as we are often tempted to take shortcuts in order to avoid pain or to, to find moments of pleasure, Jesus was tempted as well. In fact, the Bible tells us he was tempted in every way just as we are. That doesn't mean he had every specific temptation that we've ever had, but every type of temptation came his way just as it comes to us, and yet he faced it all without sin. He never broke fellowship with the Father. He never ran away as a prodigal like we did. And not only was it necessary for Jesus to live a good life and a perfect life, he had to take our sin away. And he did this by bearing the punishment for our sin. So the authorities, Pontius Pilate and his soldiers, they had him taken outside the city, outside the city, and he was nailed to the cross like a common criminal. And on the cross, something else happened, something that was unseen to the naked eye. 
And on the cross, he took on the guilt of the sins of the world, the sins of all those who would trust in him. He became sinful with our sin so that he might take it away. On the cross, he was cast out from God's presence so that we could be drawn into God's presence. He died because he gave himself for us so that we can know the Father's love. As the prophet Isaiah had said long ago, it was by his wounds, by his punishment, that we are healed. He became sick with our sin so that we could be made well. Think about the kind of love that takes. To take on the sickness, the death of someone else so that they might live. You know, it used to be commonly thought that uh, stomach ulcers were caused by stress. In fact, many people believe that today. Uh, that stomach ulcers were caused by stress and that stomach ulcers were uncurable. And uh, this worked pretty well for the pharmaceutical industry because they had some drugs that could help relieve stress. And so there's a lot of money invested in this whole industry. Well, there's an uh, uh, Australian uh, doctor in training, of all things. And he didn't believe this. Uh, he thought that, uh, that ulcers weren't caused by stress but by, were caused by this corkscrew corkscrew-type virus called H. pylori. And, uh, and, and if this was the case, if it was just, a, excuse me, a bacteria, if it was caused by this bacteria, then ulcers could be cured with inexpensive antibiotics. Uh, but no one would listen to him. No one would take him seriously. And there was a lot of money on the table why they wouldn't want to take him seriously. And so he couldn't get anyone to do any experiments. So he, he was irritated and he was frustrated. And this was back in the 80s. And so what he did was he took a flask full of H. pylori bacteria, and he drank it all. And it worked. He got ulcers. <laughs> he became very, very sick very, very quickly. And when he became sick then, he started taking some rather inexpensive antibiotics. And just as quickly as he became sick, he became well. The cure worked. Uh, for that, uh, in 2005, he and his colleague were ordered the Nobel Prize in medicine. But what kind of person makes themselves sick in order to cure other people? Well, Jesus didn't just make himself sick. He didn't just drink a flask of bacteria. He took on the full dose of sin. He became sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. In order to be Emmanuel, God with us. He first had to be Jesus, the Lord saves. And he became Jesus, the Lord saves by taking on the punishment of sin. What makes Christmas, I think, I think what makes Christmas so remarkable is, is that we're not the ones who pursued God. God's the one who came after us. We couldn't climb the stairway to heaven. We, could not, we couldn't climb the ladder. God came down made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory, as John said, full of grace and truth so that we might know him. He came after us. When we were pushing him away with our sin, he drew near to us. In the 1950s, there was a man named Terry Dobson who was one of the first Americans to study, um, to study Aikido, uh, the Japanese art of self-defense in Tokyo. And so he's there studying Aikido in Tokyo. And one day, he's riding the subway back home and onto the subway gets this very large, very drunk, very angry man. And this drunk man uh, was out of control, it seemed. And, and then at one point, he took a swing at a woman holding a baby, and he ran off this elderly couple. And so Terry's going, well, I guess this is why I've been training. 
Now, here's why I've been learning Aikido. And so he stands up, and he's prepared to fight this man. And as he stands up uh, to fight this man, uh, suddenly uh, the, the man looks at him and goes, Ha, a foreigner. It's time I teach you some Japanese manners. They're about to throw down, right? And uh, just as he's moving towards him, another passenger shouts, hey, in like this cheery, happy voice. And he looks at the drunk man, looks over, and he goes, hey, come over here. And he's going, what's this? And he walks over to them, and it's an elderly Japanese man. And he beckons him over with a wave, and he just starts engaging the drunk man in a friendly conversation. And at first, the, the drunk man's still belligerent, he's still angry, uh, but, but the elderly man just begins to talk. And he talks about uh, his wife and their garden and how they enjoy sitting out on the wooden bench drinking sake in the afternoon. And uh, he just tells about his wife. And then he says to the drunk man, he goes, I'm sure you have a lovely wife too. And at that point, the drunk man just begins to sob. He says, my wife died. And then he begins to, the elderly man asks him about his story. And he begins to tell him about the shame of, of losing his job and then losing his house. And then the subway came to the place where Terry had to get off, and as Terry got off the subway, he looked back, and there was the man sprawled out across the seat with his head in the elderly man's lap. And he heard the elderly man speaking words of comfort to him. Here's a man who was doing everything he could to push everybody away. He was mean, he was drunk, he was angry, and yet the whole while, what was the cry of his heart? The cry of his heart was for someone to call him in. And one courageous elderly man reached out in love and asked him what he was doing, asked him his story, showed care, showed concern. We've been like that with God. We're pushing him away. We're pushing him away, angry, sinful, bitter. And God the Father draws near to us through God the Son, and calls us to him. He's Emmanuel. And the way that he is Emmanuel, God with us, is because he's first Jesus, the God who saves. We're all hungry for the Father's love. We all long for it desperately. And we can have it through Jesus. That's why he came. He came so that we might know him and might know the love of the Father. And so let's pray to that Father thanking him for the love that we can have through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the hope that we have because we are like that man, angry, running our own way, fearful that no one would want us full of shame for what we have done and things that have been done to us. And yet you are the Father who calls us to you, to yourself. Father, we're overwhelmed by that kind of love. We're overwhelmed, Jesus, that you would go to such great lengths, that you would leave the glory of heaven, that you'd leave that splendor and that majesty to be born to a poor couple in a remote village, to be ostracized by your countrymen, to be hated by the world, to be despised, to die on a cross, all out of love for us. And tonight, even as we celebrate Christmas, you may be here thinking that, that you don't know the Father's love. You, you have a hunger, you have an ache. In fact, you don't even know if you're fully capable of believing, but you want to. 
One of the things uh, St. Augustine said is the, the desire for grace is itself grace. And if you long to know him, then that means he's, he's calling you. So simply come before him even tonight and say, Lord, I, I've gone my own way and I've been distant from you and, and I've been trying to satisfy my hungry heart with so many things. And there are many things that make me feel good for a time, but at the end of the day, I, I'm still hungry. I still have a longing. So Lord, I now know I long for you. So I ask you to forgive me not because of what I have done or what I will do. Lord, I don't even know what I can do, but I thank you that Jesus is the Lord who saves. And I thank you that he died on the cross for my sins so that I might be forgiven, so that I might have Emmanuel, God with us, even more, God with me. And so Lord Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord, to be my savior, to come near to me, that I could walk with you in the kind of love that a father gives to the child he adores. We praise you, O Lord, that the promise of Emmanuel is a promise you will keep and have kept for many of us, and we rejoice in this good news, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.